Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Georgia followed up a monster win with yet another monster win. Is that good enough? To be the number one team in the country, to me, to the college football playoff, and people are still getting fired on their day off. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kid folk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we got to talk about Jaden Daniels doing what no other FBS player has ever done in the history of the sport. We got to talk about Georgia's huge win against Ole Miss and how that is going to affect the top 25 rankings. And is there a doomsday scenario for the college football playoff selection committee in the offing? But first, Jimbo Fisher got fired. On his day off, the reason this is funny is because Texas A&M dumped Mississippi State on their head just less than 24 hours ago to the tune of 51 to 10. But the Texas A&M Board of Regents, according to ESPN, had already made the decision to fire Jimbo Fisher on Thursday. But they did not want to fire him before the game against Mississippi State because they believed that they had an eight and four record they were still playing for. And they could really up in their chances of getting to eight wins if they fired the head coach before playing Mississippi State. So imagine being Jimbo Fisher, waking up to see you are six and four, feeling pretty good about what you've been able to accomplish so far and what you might still be able to accomplish what's left in the season to find out, hey, Jimbo, hey, Jimbo. You ain't got to go home, but you can't stay here. And here is College Station. My goodness, this is funny. It's funny because we've been talking about Jimbo Fisher and whether or not he's going to get fired at this job for the better part of three years now, right? It's basically been since 2020, which, by the way, was a great year for Texas A&M football. They finished number four in the final AP rankings and won an Orange Bowl. But 2020 is mostly a junk year for everybody but Bama. Perspective here. Iowa State won its first major bowl game ever, the Fiesta Bowl, against Oregon, also in 2020. And that was the year that people were like, Brock Purdy might be good. And the year I was going, do you realize that Brees Hall is a unanimous All-American at Iowa State? Yeah, explains a lot about how Brock Purdy could be more successful at a place like 49ers, where everybody is essentially a unanimous All-American. But I digress. The reason that I digress is because, well, 
Jake Nurkow with Jimbo Fisher has and has not done has been kind of a wild ride at AM. Because while he has beaten Nick Saban and became just the second assistant to ever accomplish that for that feat and the first one not named Kirby Smart to do so, he also put the money in the bag against Appalachian State. We're talking about an AM program that has not won a road game against an SEC foe since Missouri in October 2021. We're talking about an AM team that was supposed to be what Missouri is now. We're talking about an AM program that had the best recruiting class of all time. It was so good that Jimbo Fisher felt he needed to come out in front of people using a microphone, his glasses, a notepad, and a pen to talk about, we don't pay for players. I got to deal with some dude from Bro Bible named Slice Bread telling us that we pay for players. To which the rest of us are like, I don't know, dog. Y'all had the foremost name, image, and likeness apparatus in the country. And everybody knows AM is about its money. Okay. You got boosters whose pockets are as deep as the mid-continent pool. Okay. You got boosters who look at oil barrel prices going down and are absolutely clutching their pearls. I look out Tulsa, okay, because we're an oil state, and I see 261 a gallon. They see, oh, this is carnage. This is all bad. And yet, with oil prices being what they are and gas prices being what they are, these boosters at AM came up with $76 million to tell Jimbo Fisher to take a hike. It is far and away the biggest public school buyout we have ever seen in the sport. And it is so big, it is triple the second highest figure. Put in perspective, Gus Malzahn was asked to collect his belongings and get walked out by security to the tune of $21.4 million at Auburn. A couple years ago, Ed Orgeron was asked, hey, dog, would you mind cleaning out your office and turning in your card key because we're going to pay you $17 million to get on the way out? And Ed Orgeron didn't turn down nothing but his collar. He said, you're going to pay me $17 million to go away? To sit on my couch? Oh, yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. Give me that right now. I'll take that. And living his best life, I might add. Only person that I have seen take this kind of money and come back to coaching is 5-5 five and five in Nebraska right now. By the way, Nebraska has botched two attempts to get bowl eligible in the last two weeks. That's why Matt Rule gave up $44 million to sit on his couch and mow his lawn. But that is essentially what Jimbo Fisher's being asked to do. Okay? That's wild to me. It's wild to me because he got this wild-ass extension on the strength of LSU wanting him. It is the second time LSU has made someone overpay for a head coach that didn't turn out to be no good. Okay? You'll remember, LSU was like, Hey, we think we might want Tom Herman. And Texas was like, nah, we want Tom Herman more. And LSU was like, you want to pay him that much to, do, to be your head coach? And they were like, yeah, we do. We want to pay him that much. So he goes to Texas. He goes to Texas. They hire Ed Orgeron. They win a national championship. What does Texas get from Tom Herman? Pain. I mean, they got, they, got, they got a sugar bowl, but a sugar bowl that Georgia swears up and down, they didn't care about. Pain. Tom Herman also got his walking papers. Did a stint with Chicago Bears. Now he's coaching Florida Atlantic. That is what it's going to be like for Jimbo Fisher, who was looking at that job after they were looking at your man, Ed, and talking about, I might go to LSU. I've won a national championship at Florida State. I'm a good football coach, and y'all be treating me poorly. And they're like, you know what? Is it money you want? And he was like, yeah, it's money I want. Then we will give you money. But you know what? 
there's only so much money you can get paid before you got to look around and see what your quality of life is going to be like to make this money. Okay. Myself, I've come to that realization myself. I would rather have a really great quality of life at a certain threshold than get overpaid by millions of dollars for somebody be able to flip me the middle finger, tell me to take a walk. That's just not, that's not the way you want to go out. It's one of these things that goes along with where we are in the sport. People talking about, I don't like transfer portal. I want to put these rules in place. And I'm like, cool. I want you to pay out the contract if you don't like the player no more. If you want to tell them that their scholarship won't be renewed, pay them the value of that scholarship. But we're not that far right now, right? Right now, we're looking at an AM team that's already looking around going, I wonder who else we can get to do this job. And I find that really interesting because it wasn't like Jimbo Fisher was bad, right? And it ain't like AM has ever been good. Like, let me put it in perspective. Jimbo Fisher went 45 and 25, won at Orange Bowl, finished top five in the country. Okay. For AM, that's about as good as y'all ever gonna be. You know how I know this? Because AM ain't won a conference championship of any kind since 1998, or the last year for which Oklahoma was foreseeably bad until 2022. So basically, y'all picked up and left a conference where you might have actually had a shot to go to a conference where you had the SEC Coach of the Year in Kevin Sumlin. You had a Heisman Trophy winner in Johnny Manziel. And what did you have to show for it? A Cotton Bowl. A Cotton Bowl win over Oklahoma, I'll grant you. A Cotton Bowl. Y'all talk like y'all want to win national championships, so you went and hired a national championship caliber coach, to which we're like, cool, I will take you seriously. I even made that mistake. I ranked AM a top five team last year. Didn't do that this year. Didn't do that at all this year. And what am I looking at? I'm looking at AM doing AM stuff. Not going, you know what, let the cake bake to, to parlay another one of these coaches that Nick Saban has put out in Nick Saban. But to say, nah, we can do better. And I'm looking around like, who are you going to get this better? And it is such AM thinking because right now I'm already having to deal with AM people believing that they're going to get, I kid you not, Dan Campbell, who's coaching the Detroit Lions, Dan Lanny who's a one-loss team in Oregon and probably paying for a national title if they're undefeated, right? We're looking at Kalen DeBoer, for which I had to feel Washington fans asking me, yo, RJ, why did we go get the dude for Fresno State? Because he's really, really good, guys, and kids really want to play for him. They're looking around at guys that got really good jobs at very secure locations and going, you know what? We could probably pay him to come over here. Let me put it this way for you AM fans. If you end up with Glenn Schumann, at, at Georgia, you you better tip your cap and say thank you. You end up with Sharon Moore at Michigan, you better tip your cap and say thank you. But right now, unless you got a Lincoln Riley to pull out, I think you just let that dude go for Bobby Petrino. So Bobby Petrino going to try to coach his way through the rest of the season. And then if, and it's not that big an if, but if the rest of the staff goes the way of Jimbo Fisher, AM boosters will come out of their pockets for $100 million to tell this entire staff to take a hike. I got to ask, if you are in the coaching profession, what about this AM job do you find appealing? And you would probably tell me the money, and I would say, what else? And you would probably give me crickets back. So I hope either one or two things happen. Either AM decides to stop being so AM, which I highly doubt, and and get on the good foot and say, hey, how do we make ourselves a little bit more ingratiating to the people that want to, you know, perhaps win national championships? Why don't we take a look at ourselves and see what we got to fix? No, they're going to go get a dude 
that they're going to try to turn into somebody to come out of the Aggie network that they think is going to win no national championships. I got news for you. That ain't the way this goes down. All right, Jimbo Fisher, though. Take your money, dog. Don't, 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 don't. Don't sit on the money. Take your money. Go sit down for a while. Go ride your horses. Go back to West Virginia, Country Rose, all of it. And you know what? While you're at it, take Mike Yersich with you because I think my man could use a little bit of a vacation. Penn State followed suit with AM, took a look at the offense and said, you ain't it, dog, and gave Mike Yersich his walking papers. I feel for Mike Yersich on this, okay, for a number of reasons. One is it ain't that he was bad as an offensive coordinator at Penn State because he wasn't. It's that he was bad as an offensive coordinator at Penn State against Ohio State and Michigan. Your quarterback threw for 60 yards against Michigan. Your run game went for 49 yards against Ohio State. I look at your record, I see 8-2. and two. But what Penn State fans see is losses to Ohio State and Michigan again. Okay. I'm just going to point out, while we're here, James Franklin is 3-17 and 17 against top 10 opponents, and he has since had Mike Yersich. He's had Ricky Ronnie, right? He's had Joe Moorhead. He's he's had a number of offensive coordinators that come through there, and it ain't seem to be working well. You know what I'm saying? He's had Kurt Soraka. Maybe it ain't the offense. Maybe it's got something to do with a dude that oversees the offense. But as it stands... James Franklin goes, we are going to go another way. I'm going, hey, look, Mike Yersich got it up out the mud. Like, many of y'all don't know this, but Mike Mike Yersich was showing dudes how to run an offense at Shipping Bird State by using, like, Legos and Little Men. Got hired out of the bastions of college football by Mike Gundy, who does this, who goes to Gannon State or Gannon University and goes to Shipping Bird State to go get his coordinators like he does. Brian Nardo comes out of Gannon. My years just came out of Shipping Bird State, gets in Stillwater, and turns that offense into something that goes with dudes named J.W. Walsh. Taylor Cornelius, who went by Corn Dog. Mason Rudolph, I may be sure, granted. But you get my point here. He has done way more with way less than what he had at Penn State. Now, he's also had stops at Texas and Ohio State, to which I thought it was funny when Ohio State fans were bucking up to going, how much does Mike Yersich get paid to do this job? I'm like, I don't know, dog. Maybe by the much as he got paid to do the job at Ohio State. I don't think it's a Mike Yersich problem. But I understand you got to have a fall guy. You got to have somebody that you could point out in court said, yeah, your honor, he did it. So they've decided to go to Mike Yersich route on this. I think Mike Yersich is going to end up coaching offense again. I think he's a good football coach. And I think he's displayed that in a number of different spots. And you don't go from Shippensburg State to three blue blood universities, right? Texas, Ohio State, and Penn State without being a good play caller. However, it's really hard to overlook just how anemic the offense has been for Penn State against the two class opponents in the Big Ten. And if you are the blessed independents that join the the Big Ten in the Penn States of the world, you also got to look around and go, hmm, are we just Penn State and are they just Ohio State and Michigan? And how long are we going to put up with this? Well, it seems like until Ohio State and Michigan decide to be bad, that's what it's going to be. Because if you measure yourselves against Ohio State and Michigan, especially over the last decade, I don't know who you're going to go get to do that job. As opposed to, do you win 10, 11 games a year? Because you do. Do you win a Rose Bowl? Because you do. It's a good program, right? I just think that you still got some work to do before you can start counting yourself 
as one of the two best teams in the Big Ten as opposed to one of the three best teams in the Big Ten. So those are the people that got fired on their day off following the week where other people got fired on their day off. And I dare say we will do another Sunday segment where we find out more people getting fired on a day off. Until then, let's talk about the players. Let's talk about some play on the field. Let's talk about some outstanding individuals. Yeah, let's do a Heisman look because we ain't done too many Heisman looks on this here show. Because frankly, I don't like Heisman voters. I think the Heisman Trophy is just fine. I just think the Heisman voters don't know what they're doing most of the time, right? It's probably why I don't have a vote. It's because I keep telling them they don't know what they're doing, right? However, there's some really great candidates to win the Heisman Trophy here, and they all play offense. But that's another title for another day. Now, let's start at number five and go to one, talk about some outstanding dudes that need to get some looks in December. At number five, we got Michael Penix Jr., who is coming off of a really great win against Utah, threw for over 300 yards. He's got, I think, an All-American wide receiver in Romo Dunzi. He and Dylan Johnson have a really good relationship in that backfield. It feels kind of cool to have a Kalen DeBoer, Ryan Grubb run offense with Michael Penix Jr. back there throwing passes that can absolutely run the ball, especially here of late. But we're talking about the straw that actually stirs that drink. It is that dude playing quarterback, the lefty, that is absolutely throwing darts downfield against really good opponents. Beat Oregon, okay? An Oregon team that many people think can make the college football playoff and probably would be the front runner to win the Pac-12 if they had not lost to Washington. Also, Washington put up 42 on a USC team that seems to be giving up everybody, you know, something. But they did it, and at the time, USC wasn't even that great. Now we're talking about them beating up on a really good Utah team that we know is good, that we know the defense especially is good, and to be able to put up 400-plus yards of offense, have a 100-yard rush and a 300-yard passer, yeah, it feels like watching goes undefeated, goes 12-0, wins the Pac-12 championship. It's going to be difficult to not include Michael Penix Jr. in New York, and he might absolutely walk away with that award. Number four on the list, staying in the Pac-12, Oregon quarterback Bo Nix, who is having the best season of his entire life right now, and his experience is really coming to bear. It was a 58th start last night against USC, and he had the kind of performance that we are so used to Caleb Williams showing. He had over 400 yards passing. He threw two passes to Troy Franklin. Troy Franklin had 147 yards receiving. Okay? Saw Ted Johnson go out. I want him to get back, but he's got weapons out there. Bucky Irving was limping, come back in, still rushed for 100 yards. Got Jordan James back there. But Bo Nix is the dude that is running that offense that is so terribly efficient with Will Stein as offense coordinator. Another dude that's probably a Brewers Award finalist. Another dude's probably going to be looking at a head coach job here not too long. But I can't overlook just how good this offense has been and how steady it's been. It's one thing for you to put 84 up on or 81 up on Portland State. It's quite another for you to be able to do what they did to Utah and what they did to, excuse me, USC even last night. Again, I don't think that Oregon lost that game against Washington. I think Dan Lanning lost that game against Washington. And as good as Dan Lanning is, I don't think he's going to make that mistake twice. So you get them back in the Pac-12 title. They revenge their loss against Washington. It's going to be difficult to keep him out of New York, let alone have an outside shot to win the Heisman Trophy. I'm also going to say that the man married a lady whose last name was Smoke, and it was all there for him. You know, Bo Smoke. I, I just, I really wanted that to happen. I really wanted that to happen. But maybe, you know, they're thinking about it when they have kids. They'll work that in some kind of way. Number three on the list, we got to talk about this dude from LSU. All right, so 
Jaden Daniels is the reason we had to do this segment today. Because what Jaden Daniels did last night against hated foe, Florida, we had never seen in the history of the sport dating back 154 years now. That man threw for over 350 yards and rushed for over 200 yards. He had 606 yards of total offense, and he went 17 and 26 passing. Five total TDs. Nobody has done that in the sport. And I don't know that there's anybody that doesn't like Jaden Daniels or doesn't like what Jaden Daniels has done, both at Arizona State and LSU. As a matter of fact, the way to talk about Jaden Daniels is, you know how the NFL folks feel some kind of way about Josh Dobbs all of a sudden? We feel that way as a sport about Jaden Daniels, except our guy could actually win the Heisman Trophy. Now, for NFL fans, the Heisman Trophy is the most valuable player award in college football. I know that this is new to y'all because y'all only come around in April to pluck our best and most talented, but you should know Jaden Daniels is absolutely that dude. And on a team that, frankly, I didn't know they were going to be this good. Now, I didn't think they were going to be the top five team in the country and you know show that against Florida State, but I certainly thought that they weren't going to really be in the hunt for a top 10 ranking at the end of the season. That's where they are. Because you're talking about losses to Florida State and a loss to Ole Miss when a thriller, and then a loss to Alabama, right? We all expect that those teams are good, right? One of those two, one of those teams undefeated, one of those teams got one loss, and well, one of those things is Ole Miss, whose losses are Alabama and Georgia now. So LSU is a good football team, but they're greater because of him. Like it is one thing for you to have Malik neighbors out there. It's quite another for you to have Jaden Daniels finding ways to get up off the mat and go get you yards. Like I fell in love with Jaden Daniels' game when he was at Arizona State. And the reason I loved it is because he did not turn the ball over. Like, I think he threw two interceptions in his entire time at Arizona State. And he's been that guy for the most part at LSU, taking care of the football, making good decisions, and also laying it out. Like, the problem with Jaden Daniels to win the Heisman is he goes out of the game against Alabama because he got ragdolled. If the offensive line at LSU was anything like good, Maybe we're talking about Jaden Daniels staying in that game against Alabama, and maybe we're talking about LSU beating Alabama and winning the SEC West title, in which case we're talking about Jaden Daniels really having a shot to win the Heisman Trophy. But it's real difficult to take three losses in the regular season and end up as the Heisman Trophy winner. But if anybody would be deserving of that award this year, kind of like Jalen Hurts a couple years ago, his last year at Oklahoma, it would be Jaden Daniels. I think we feel that good about him, and his game has been so fantastic this season. Would really love to see him in New York with a shot to win this thing. But the guy that I got above him, I think, showed what he is capable of because Jaden Daniels is across from him. And that is Jalen Milrow at Alabama. I've loved Jalen Milrow. I have said I've loved Jalen Milrow for the past four years. I even questioned, yo, dog, you really want to go to Texas? He's like, yeah, I want to go to Texas. And then Mike Yersich, making it feel circle, said he didn't want him at Texas. He ends up at Bama. Waits his term, gets into a QB derby where it wasn't even sure he was going to win it. Matter of fact, Nick Saban said, let the cake bake. Started Jalen Milrow. They took the loss against Texas. He got the bench against South Florida, of all people. You throw Tyler Buckner out there, find out he ain't it. Throw Ty Simpson out there, find out he ain't it. And who's the guy? Jalen Milrow, dude on the sideline who is greeting those guys each and every time they come off the field. You build the offense around what he is capable of doing against Mississippi State, and you never look back. And he has his best game until last week or Saturday against Kentucky against LSU, where he set the record for most rushing TDs in a single game by an Alabama quarterback with four in a game that was really about Jalen Milrow and Jaden Daniels. Like as much as I wanted to make that game about say Dallas Turner 
and even Harold Perkins, who hadn't done as much as I thought he would do this year. It was really about those two quarterbacks and which one of those guys is going to have the ball last because it felt like the two, first team to go up by two scores is going to win, and that's what happened. If Jaden Daniels didn't get knocked out of that game, does it change the outcome? I don't think so, but it certainly gives them a shot. And when you got a guy that can put up 350, 250, he's going to give you a shot. But what Jalen Milrow did against Kentucky basically builds on what he did against LSU. He had six total TDs against Kentucky in a game that was for something. Like they put up 49 on Kentucky in a game that allowed them to clinch the SEC West. So we're talking about a guy who was benched in the middle of the year, who has now not even just willed his team into an SEC West division title and into the SEC championship game against Georgia. But they run the table the rest of the way. They're getting into the playoffs. If Jalen Milrow is the quarterback that leads Alabama past a Georgia team that will have won 29 straight, yeah, good luck not giving the Heisman Trophy to that guy because the story's also going to be fantastic. But also, you stop Georgia. That would be the thing that I put on every poster everywhere. Jalen Milrow stopped Georgia. But he got to do that to win it because – that's what it's going to take for Jalen Milrow to win the Heisman Trophy. And frankly, that might not be enough because the dude at one, absolute Martian. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best player in college football. Like, I know they were playing Michigan State last night and Michigan State ain't nobody. But you saw it against Penn State. You've seen it in winning time. You find a way to get one-eighth the ball. He's going to make sure you win the football game. Hey, dog, we ain't got nothing left. Travion Henderson can't get going. Maya Williams out for the season. Chip Trainum can't get going. We don't know what these offensive lines capable of. Hey, is 1-8 over there? Yeah, throw it up to him. But he double covered. Does it matter? No, it really doesn't matter. Because if you throw it up to 1-8, the chances are he's going to come down with the rock. And he's going to come down with the rock when you absolutely have to score. But it's also what he's been doing consistently. It's not just that he tied David Boston's record for most 100-yard receiving games by a Buckeye. It's that he is the first Ohio State wide receiver to have back-to-back -back seasons of 1,000-yard receiving seasons ever. Now, a couple things to take into account here. Ohio State ain't make a habit of throwing the football before Ryan Day. and ain't make a habit of creating great wide receivers until Brian Hartline who's turning out mutants all of a sudden, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. I'm going to add here, Chris Olave showed up as a three-star recruit and might end up making the Pro Bowl again. Garrett Wilson, five-star, who said, I'm not going to Texas. I'm going to Ohio State. Why? Because I want to be developed. And he's been developed into one of the best wide receivers in the National Football League. The next guy on that list was supposed to be Jackson Smith and Jigba. He goes down early last year, and we get to see, oh, that dude wearing 1-8? He's absolutely that dude. And with Kyle McCord back there, a guy he's been playing with since high school at St. Joe's Prep, you could see, hey, Ryan Day and Kyle McCord going, why are we making this difficult on ourselves? Yes, the offense is not doing what we wanted to do. But if we got 1-8 and you ain't, we're probably going to beat you. And that has been what it's been like for Ohio State with a defense that frankly has been outstanding. No explosive plays allowed past 40 yards for that Ohio State defense, allowing for Marvin Harrison Jr. to do what he does. He can take over the game if you allow him, right? Other thing to add in here that I think is wild, it's not just that Marvin Harrison Jr. might be the greatest Ohio State wide receiver of all time. Like Terry Glenn won the Belitnikoff Award in 1995 and they ain't had one since. It's that Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best player on a team that has JT Tui Molau, Travion Henderson. 
Cade Stover, Omega Abuka. My good, I, I keep going down the list here. Like they're loaded all the way out, and at, everybody's looking at him the way that Dana Holgerson used to look at Justin Blackman. Favorite story to go out on this part, but it pertains to Marvin Harrison Jr. So back when Justin Blackman was absolutely a mutant in Oklahoma State, and Brandon Whedon was quarterback. They used to run the diamond formation where you got four backs in the backfield or three backs in the quarterback in the backfield and one-on-one on the outside so they could get one-on-one on the outside for Justin Blackman, to which they still bracketed him, the defense did. And Brandon Wheaton was like, I don't know where to go with the football. Justin is covered. To which Dana looked at Brandon, took a pause. If I was you, i just throw it up to Blackman and walked off. Next series, Brandon Wheaton goes in there. Throws a 50-50 ball up to Justin Blackman, who made that look like an 80-20, and took it to the house. That's who Marvin Harrison Jr. has been for Ohio State. So if Ohio State finishes this season undefeated, which means they beat Michigan, and they win a Big Ten title, yeah. Yeah, that's the Heisman Trophy winner. A, he's done what he has done. B, they will have beaten the team that I think is the number one team in the country presently in Michigan. And C... They would be Ohio State, and that really does count for quite a bit inside of this here sport called college football. I know y'all hate to talk about blue bloods because I used to hate to talk about blue blood. But again, producer cat getting to my ear very early when I got this job. RJ, I understand you are used to talking about sport the way you would want it to be. Expand the playoff, you cowards. I need you to talk about the sport the way that it is. And the way that it is, Ohio State carries a lot of momentum. And when you got a wide receiver doing what that dude is doing that nobody else has done at that particular school, you're going to get more attention than anybody else. And right now, Marvin Harrison Jr. deserves all of that attention because not only is he the best player in the sport, there's a real conversation to be had now about do you take him at one or Caleb Williams at one, which is a nice way to get us into the top 25 rankings as I look at them and as the Associated Press looks at them. Now, I don't really got a whole lot to argue with inside of the top 10 with the AP because I really think it's you know, tomato, tomato, and number one versus number two, but I'm going to split that here while we're here. Georgia beat an Ole Miss team that I thought was Missouri 2.0. Turns out, no, Missouri was Ole Miss 2.0 because Georgia beat them 52 to 17. I would add here, though, Georgia had Brock Bowers for this Ole Miss game. They did not have him against Missouri. It seems to matter quite a bit because 19 is ridiculous. He'd be in the Heisman Trophy conversation if he played more football games, but it's very clear that he gives them an edge. He is not the only thing that makes them go because they showed that, right, against Florida and against Missouri. But he's certainly one of the better players in the sport and certainly going to be the Mackey Award winner at tight end. But what they did against Ole Miss builds on what we thought was a great win against Missouri, a greater win against Ole Miss. Again, both of those games are at home, so Sanford gives you an edge. I'm not really as impressed by that as I am with Michigan did against Penn State, but that's because Michigan's on the road against what I think is a good Penn State team. But if you want to tell me that you think that Georgia's the number one team in the country, I would hear you, as opposed to a couple of weeks ago, I would not. They are beginning to look like the team that we thought they would be to start the season. I'm not going to discount what they did through the middle of this season. That's why I'm going to keep Michigan at number one. But you certainly have an argument, right? Like If you wanted to say that they're the number one team going into the SEC championship game, I'm not going to be bothered by that because they haven't lost a game in their last 26, 27 now, excuse me. And we're talking about a Georgia team that hasn't lost at Sanford since 2020, right? You you really got to do something to go beat up on this Georgia team. But I, I'm really impressed with Michigan. I 
I love that they want to wear the black hat. I, I love that those guys in that building absolutely love Jim Harbaugh. And it doesn't really matter what we think about Jim Harbaugh, what we think about the sign stealing, because the kids go out there and just mollywop who's in front of them. They do that against Maryland. They do it against Ohio State. It's going to be difficult to say they're not the number one team in the country, because right now that is who the college football playoff selection committee thinks is the number one team in the country. Back to what I was telling you about how Ohio State being good carries a ton of weight in this sport. I go down here. I still don't think that Florida State is a better football team than Washington. I also think Washington has a much better resume than Florida State. Remember, Florida State was tied 13 up with Miami at home with the backup quarterback in for Miami. Need to pull out 27-20 against a Miami team we don't think is any good. Washington has beaten ranked opponents and teams that have Heisman Trophy finalists and a Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams. I don't know that Washington is going to win a national championship. As a matter of fact, Washington fans, I'm an Oklahoma fan. I'm telling you this. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I don't mean no shade. You feel like Oklahoma 2018, 2019. You feel like a really good team that would have way more fun getting snubbed in the college football playoff and going to play in the Cotton Bowl to beat up on James Madison. Too late. Because it's going to hurt your soul to go 13-0 and and then get stomped out by Georgia. I'm just telling you. As a person who roots for Oklahoma and went into the 2004 National Championship game, believe it, we had a good team. Getting beat by Matt Liner and the boys, 55-17, booing Ashley Simpson at halftime, that ain't the way you want to go out, my guys. It, it, it feels different to get stomped out in a national title game or a national semifinal. I'm saying that's not what you want. But Florida State, y'all seem to. And since since I can't stop y'all, fine. You really want to go ride that train? That, that Georgia train, that Michigan train, that Ohio State train? Cool. Have at it. Oregon feels like they might be in a better spot than both of those teams, even though they got the loss. I get that we all think that they're a really good football team, but again, that loss to Washington, if you lose to Washington, and remember how I'm talking about Washington just two seconds ago, what do you think you're going to do against Georgia or Ohio State or Michigan? Same thing with Alabama. They beat Georgia. I don't know they could double up with that. I think they could win an SEC championship, but I think Kirby, given a month, he's going to be like, nah, enough of this. <laughs> Let's go remind Tuscaloosa that they don't run a damn thing anymore. That's where I think they would be. Getting further down here, it's nice to see James Madison is still here for, for me uh, at 18 and for them at 18 because I think I think James Madison is in a really difficult spot. I mean, they're undefeated, and I think they've lost one game since joining FBS, but they've been denied the waiver grant that they would need to be granted to play in a bowl game. And this is a big deal. It's a big deal for the Dukes because you are the New Year's Six Bowl team for the group of five. If you finish this season undefeated, there's nothing Tulane could do about it with that loss to Ole Miss, right? Same thing I think is kind of true if you're talking about Liberty, which I don't think Conference USA is any good. I mean, Conference USA championship is going to be Liberty versus New Mexico State, okay? I, I tend to think James Madison and Tulane would mop the floor with both of those teams. However, this is why we have, I think, the College Football Playoff Selection Committee in place is for these sorts of issues, but it can't get to them if they are ineligible. So Charlie Baker the president of the NCAA is going to have to grant them a waiver, which we all hope happens because these dudes, they absolutely deserve to play in a bowl game and they absolutely going undefeated would deserve to play in the new year six bowl game. Because again, they're playing in the Sunbelt. Sunbelt's a tougher league than the conference USA. It's tougher league than the American. You go win that thing. You run undefeated. I know you deserve everything that's coming to you. I got Oklahoma at 13. They got them at 14. That's fine. Uh, I got Kansas State at 16. They got him at 23. Again, that's fine. I would have loved to have seen Iowa in their top 25. 
I don't understand why we're not giving Iowa its proper amount of respect. That is a team that's already clenched a share of the Big Ten West Championship. It's probably going to be the Big Ten West representative, and we could probably end up with them getting mollywopped in the Big Ten title game. But given what they have been through this year, firing the offensive coordinator in the midseason, losing the starting quarterback in Cade McNamara, asking Deacon Hill to do a job that, frankly, he was not supposed to do this year, and getting Phil Parker's defense to still hold up, Goodness me, man. I don't know how you don't make that team a top 25 uh, ranked prone and, and keep, say, Oklahoma State in here. Oklahoma State got stomped out by Central Florida 45 to 3. That's a bad look. That's a terribly bad look. Ollie Gordon got stuffed. That's a terribly bad look. Now, you got to fill these things out, right? So, really, I'm arguing about do I think Tennessee is a better football team than Liberty? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Do I think Notre Dame is a better football team than Liberty? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And uh, UNC, I just I, I can't respect you right now. I can't respect you right now. That's the reason you're not here for me. You lost to Georgia Tech and Virginia in back-to-back weeks. You need to pull out an overtime win against Duke without Riley Leonard at home. I am insulted. I, I am I am absolutely insulted. No, you've beaten FCS Campbell. That is your demonstrative win out of the last four. Nah, dog. Uh-uh. I'm not I'm not giving you credit for being no two-loss team and no watered down ACC where Louisville is a one-loss team. I don't have Louisville in my top 10. Otherwise, it just don't make no sense. I gotta hold my nose and put Louisville right there at nine ahead of Penn State because they got one friggin' loss. You know where their one freaking loss is? Pittsburgh. You know who Pittsburgh is? Nobody. Nobody. Oh. Notre Dame, I just, I just, I got to respect the Louisville loss now because it's the only one. You know what I'm saying? For the, 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 you only got one. But y'all this close. Y'all this close too. All right? Y'all are the only thing. You in Tennessee, the only thing keeping me from putting Liberty in this thing alongside UNC. All right, we ain't friends, but we respect each other, Notre Dame. All right, Tennessee, don't do no more seven-point games against Missouri's. Stop making this difficult for me. This is supposed to be easy. This is supposed to be fun. No, I'm arguing about UNC and Liberty. I'm arguing about Tennessee and Liberty. Get out of here. All right, we come back live Tuesday late because, well, ESPN is doing a thing like it always does with college basketball where we're going to be up late doing the college football playoffs selection committee rankings. I understand we got to play basketball and stuff, but it's football season, people. We play football here. It's November. Come on now. Get your head right. We'll be back live late. Talk about the college football playoffs selection committee probably has some movement, right, in the top 10. We'll see if they move number one or if they stand pat. There's a doomsday scenario in there. And we'll talk about it if they give it to us. All right. That is going to do it for today's episode of the number one college football show. Our number one college football show leads of screening are Jack Copley and Torn Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistant Kiara Santana puts the special teams in our special team. She's also leading today's production. Kudos to her. Social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Chad Boulay is sending in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls plays from the sideline and the play snaps on my clap. We will see y'all live Tuesday night. Till then, stay low, keep those feet grinding. Doses.